Coming up on this episode of the Mario Rosenstock podcast. I played the alarm man in yeah. uh, Love Hey. I was fitting an alarm. I'm usually taking them off walls, but this time <laughs> they had me. They had me fitting them, <laughs> which is but, a lot more difficult. Sorry, Willa, can you, can you can you put it on rather than take it off? Well, I just love getting a great recommendation for a podcast guest that really, really works out. It could come from you, the listener, or it could come from another podcast guest that I have who suggests somebody else. And in this case, it was when I interviewed the two Norries from Cork, from the north side of Cork. I had a ball interviewing them and I got to know them so well. And I saw them again down in Cork and they came to see my show and I went on their podcast as well. They joined me for a chat a few months ago and they told me when they left that I should really get in touch with this guy called Willa White, an actor and a comedian. Now, I'd heard of Willa before. I remember he'd been involved with Des Bishop in uh, starting uh, up in comedy, uh, but didn't know much about him. So we checked him out. And my goodness, does this man have one heck of a story to tell. And I'm delighted that he agreed uh, to share his story on my podcast. From addiction, prison and psychiatric care to recovery, TV and stage acting and stand-up comedy. Willa has just seen it all. I was in the plow on the stairs. Yeah. I played flute or good. <laughs> Watching a flute or good with a heroin habit is actually very entertaining. <laughs> Most of the cast were on heroin. So oh. when you think about it... <laughs> That's sure. very good. Yeah, so... Plow on the stars yeah. <laughs> on heroin. <laughs> Next week, Fair City on crack. You can order a bag of coke now quicker than you'd order yeah. a pizza to your door. Like, you know, you can revolue for drugs. You can yeah. you can do whatever. And I mean, everybody is taking it. And what I always say to people, you're funding people's doors being kicked in, people being shot dead. That's when you're buying cocaine. And when I look at the way he reared me and I look at the aggression and the violence that he had towards me mother, I actually understood. And he'd done an awful lot better of a job with us than his father did with him he, he the man knew no better you know it's just people's problems are smaller than others and you know failure isn't falling down it's staying down you know and i just i had the ability to get back up and get get back on my feet and willa will be sharing his incredible story in full in just a few minutes time by the way if you want to get in contact with me at any time it's mario rosenstock at gmail.com um, I get back to 95% of people um, who get in contact with me and I read them all. And thanks very much for all the people who are getting in contact. Mario Rosenstock at gmail.com. First up, the podcast awards are on this week, the 16th of September. And guess what? The Mario Rosenstock podcast is up for an award in the best comedy category in Ireland. And so are many of my other podcast colleagues. Listen to this. All set, David. All set, John. Okay, off you go. Have a good one, John. And go. Hello there, and welcome to the David McWilliams podcast. Good news, John. It is. People have obviously been listening to my economic advice. (laughs) Yeah, we've been nominated for a podcast award. Do you know what we should do on the night, John? Oh, I have no idea. Get a couple of flagons of Linden Village oh, and head up behind the sheds in Kiola. Ah, get absolutely fucking loaded there. David. Stick on our fucking hoodies. You don't own a hoodie. I get up on the electric scooters what? and get into Liberty Hall 
When our lad Mixer Flynn, who scored us a few yokes on Parnell Street, yokes. we get them down the hatch and absolutely off our box. We'll get in there and we'll knock the fucking bollocks off Pat Kenny. All we'll do, we'll rob his fucking car and spend the night doing donuts around Sheriff Street trying to escape the filth. What do you say, John? Meals a gosha. John? 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 Hello. This is Blind Boy. I'm up for an award. Why am I up for an award, lads? For it has been deemed that I have prowled the podcast prairies. I have stalked the savannas of Spotify. The archipelago of Apple. Like an apex predator. A podcasting python, paralyzing his listeners slowly and quietly. <laughs> My only challenger in this desert of downloads is a juvenile buffalo, Brezzy. Blind by the python and Brezzy the buffalo. Two titans of mental health lads going at it each competing ferociously to be the first to free your mind can the buffalo escape the suffocating silent squeeze of the python buy me a coffee and you'll find out (laughs) (laughs) good luck to everybody in the podcast awards I hope everybody wins an award um, because it seems to be in, it seems to be a great success and it's being held at Liberty Hall and we see how it all pans out. Anyway, now to the main event. Willa White, what a life he is leading. An absolutely um, fascinating story from beginning to this point in his life. Let's meet Willa. So Willa, listen, thanks a million for coming on and doing this. You're very welcome. Do you know why you're here? Um, not, not really, no. You don't? Well, I want I... something. No, no. <laughs> Hopefully it's a car. <laughs> Tell you why you're here Because I interviewed two guys One of my best podcasts Was a, a podcast I did With a guy called The Two Norries Ah oh, I know them well James and Timmy Yeah and at the end of it Great uh, fellas At the end of it Yeah James and Timmy And at the end of it We really hit it off And I'd never met them Except for the moment They came in the room You're joking And an hour and a half later We were kind of Almost semi-emotional And hugging each other And all this sort of stuff And laughing and crying And nearly and I was locked up with James's father. Would you believe that? I know. I heard and that. I, and, and, and it's mad because I, I actually interviewed the two of them. I done a podcast. Yeah. And interviewed them in the podcast. Yeah. Uh, they had me on a live show down in Cork. Yeah. They brought me on. Do you know what? And, and I'm not just saying it. They're just two really, really fucking good guys. They are. Yeah. And some of the guests that they've had on, because my missus works in the addiction uh, services mm. in in, in Ballymun. Mm. And they had Gabo Mate on, mm. who's like an expert in the field of addiction. Mm. Like, and just people just cannot get this man. Yeah. But they, they managed to get him. Yeah. And they got Ryan yeah. as well, which is very yeah. unusual. And Neil Martin. Yes. Yeah. 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 To name it. And that guy, which was a really interesting one. I don't know whether you heard it. Well, your man Tony uh, thing, he was the gambler. 
Oh yeah, he took Tony the, Ten. Jesus Christ! Yeah, and I oh, went down was, to Cork. What was, the, what was the odds of getting him on? I know. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say he had a bet on it anyway. <laughs> he fucking cleaned that's up my, on that, it. That's my favourite. I had podcast. I had three hundred quid yeah. on myself being on the podcast. <laughs> I came in fucking like a butte. So the thing was that I said to James, uh, James, I said, lads, just brilliant. We should keep in touch. And yeah. Went, Mario, I'll fucking tell you something now. If you think myself and Timmy are bad, right? You want to fucking talk to this cunt. Brilliant. That fucker has had it so rough, right? But he's come through, right? Yeah. The other side. And he's so empathetic. And loving. Yeah. He talks like he's took a handful of volume, doesn't he? <laughs> Do you know anyway, so, so that's why you're on, Willa. Yeah, great. And, and, and so, and so, why? I, what, what I want to because what they did was the guys inspired me, right? Roy, right, okay. And so they inspire a lot of people, of course. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. they inspired me from to show. They inspired me by showing people what it's capable of doing with your life, and what yeah. it's capable of turning your life around, given up against the back of the you know the odds, the odds. Mm. so in a kind of a in a kind of a biographical way I want you to tell me the same thing where did you come from what happened to you and how did your journey um, wow uh, so I I come from Ballymun well originally I lived in Mount Talent Avenue so I had a, a very affluent beginning <laughs> so to speak <laughs> so we went from Mount Talent Avenue to um, a little place right slap bang in the heart of Temple Bar called Crampton Buildings I don't know whether you've ever seen them or whether you've ever known them the tenement buildings in the heart of Temple Bar if you go over the Hapney Bridge coming from the north side and you take a left of about 20 yards and an immediate right into your left you'll see this um Oasis of tenement uh, flats. So we lived there myself, my mother, my father, and my elder sister. And then we moved out to Ballymun uh, at that and stage. And what year was this now about? The year I moved to Ballymun would have been about 1974. Yeah. 75. Yeah. Like that song, 74, <laughs> 75. <laughs> that was actually written about the tenements of Ballymun. Um, so we, we, we moved to Ballymun, we moved to Shangan Avenue, number 15. Yeah. And then my sister was kind of sick and we moved back into town again for whatever reason, yeah. I don't know. Then we moved into 16, mm. Shangan Avenue in Ballymun. And my childhood was a very... Um, a very scared, very, very frightened childhood. My father liked to drink and, and was very violent towards my mother. So my early years, even living, I remember the bomb going off in Talbot Street and the, the stuff come off the dresser and, and we were living in, in uh, Temple Bar at the mm. time. And, and you, feel, you felt stuff, you saw stuff. Yeah, and, and I've got a very, very vivid memory from being a kid. And I think that This comes, is the Loyalist bombing. That was the one, yeah. yeah. They, they they done one in, in Talbot Street and then they also done one somewhere else, didn't they? Yeah, they did. There was did. two bombs was, that went off. Wasn't it in Molesworth Street or Dawson yes. Street? Yeah, yeah, it was Dawson Street. Dawson and I Street. think it was probably from the one in Dawson Street, yeah. which is crazy yeah. where we are. Yeah. Uh, 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 right Here, now. we're in yeah, Dawson yeah, Street. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I remember that and I've got... I've, you remember I think the, the dresser reason, shaking? Yeah, I think... And the, and the delve coming off, off the dresser. And I mm. think the reason I remember 
a lot of stuff from me early childhood is, is that it was very, very, it was very fear-based. I, I, I just remember a lot of stuff and I remember my mum suffering at the hands of, of, of my father. My father mm. liked to drink and that. And, um, so there was there was physical violence at yeah, home? Yeah, yeah, a lot of And you're of it. talking about kind of, what kind of violence are you talking about? Well, punching? On a, yeah, punching, yeah. kicking. Um, yeah, it was, it was very... Uh, and would he be... Very off his head at this he, point. He'd be well. He'd be. He yeah. He'd be most of the times. It was. It was when he was drunk, mm. and um, it was only in in, in later years. I kind of and I'll, I'll move on to that. How I I kind of understood somewhat where it all came from. Mm. So we moved to Ballymun. I went to school in Ballymun. Yeah, the violence was still going on at home, mm. and I mean, like when you looked at at the family, we looked okay. My father worked uh, for Post and Telegraphs at the time. Mm which, you know, was telecom airing and now was air. Like, um, my mother worked in the rag trade, so she worked in the clothing trade. Mm. And so we looked normal from the outside. Dad had a decent job. My mm. mom had a decent enough job. But there was no shortage of, you know, food on the table. We materialistically, we had everything. Mm. Um, myself and my sister. And, and you were okay as a child in terms of I mean you had a bit of trauma from the, the violence yeah, that you I, witnessed I, I, was, I was okay yeah but you were staying at you were you were keeping okay yourself yeah I, I was alright but I was always I was always looking for that escape away from what was going on at home mm. and and early on I started taking solvents when I was a very young kid I was probably about seven or eight when I started sniffing glue and, yeah. and, and I used to see lads in the area doing it and at that I, age. Yeah, and when I yeah, tried it. Very and, and young, were, Mula. Yeah, but they were lads that were all coming from the, the circumstances that I was coming from. Yeah. You know, and, and I didn't know what it was all about until I initially took that, you know, first bag of glue and started yeah. sniffing it. Yeah. And then when when I, I felt what it done to me yeah. and, and it took, it took me took away from of, everything. Exactly. Yeah. It's like that thing you hear people saying, you know, I was out of my head and that's what drugs do yeah, to I me. Yeah, just, I, just, I just said it to myself a minute ago. I was just going, I was saying out of it and I was, I was thinking to myself, what does out of it mean? And out of it means out of where you are now. It means away from your place, away from who you are. It, get me out of here. Yeah, yeah. yeah and away from what was going on at mm, home. Like, mm. you know, and, and I found great solace and I found great comfort in that and, mm. and it was great but it was only a, a short term problem a short term yeah. solution to a long term problem yeah. which what, what was going on at home yeah. my sister I, I don't really know what way she kind of dealt with she was six years uh, older than me and she spent a lot of her time in her room she just kind of closed herself off from it and was into music I remember at the time uh, she she was listening to Bob Dylan and, and Bob Dylan when the violence was going on, you know, Lay Lady Lay would would be a song that would mm. just kind of remind me of of back then. So then then I school I was never great in school. I I suppose I was never great because I had a lot of late nights, an awful lot of late nights. My childhood was ruled by the toning of a key in the door. And I knew when my father come home, what was going to ensue, like, you know? So it was very, very fear-based. And he took he took it out on us sometimes as well. Mm. Sometimes for reasons mm. um, that were, were, were valid and sometimes for reasons that were invalid, like, you know? So around seven or eight, you had sort of done solvents and glue and stuff. Yeah. And how were you up to the age of 12, 13, 14? Still taking drugs. I was yeah. still moved on to, kind of, it was like a, a graduation, moved on to drink, moved on to smoking hash. And what age were you drinking? I was drinking probably at about 10 or 11. Really? Yeah. And what yeah. would you be drinking? Bottles of Smithix. <laughs> yeah. Or bottles of Harbour. <laughs> 
<laughs> not the real hard stuff. He couldn't handle it, the no, poor fella. No, 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 no. Well, Here, well, listen. <laughs> I said, oh, I, can only, I can only take the Smittix. Yeah, yeah, I have a small tub. Just two bottles of Smittix yeah. and a large bottle of Guinness. Can we yeah. give a chaser as well? Maybe a couple of bags of glue. <laughs> but that's that's kind of the way uh, it was. It was it was, uh, it was like that. I was always involved in... in you were smoking, this, presumably. Yeah, I, I, no, I wasn't actually smoking. Mm. No, I, mm. I, I didn't smoke till till probably my late teens. Mm. Um, but I was always involved in music or in talent competitions. Oh, or, yeah. So I was on stage from a very young age. And my youngest memory of being on stage was I was miming to that song by Shawadi Wadi, A Little Bit of Soap, it was called, right? Okay. And the lyrics of it was, A Little Bit of Soap Will Wash Away the Lipstick on My Face, right? So my sister put this lipstick on and she used to kiss me all over the face. So I used to be miming. And I remember standing side stage in the Virgin Mary School when I was a child, so innocent, and going out and miming this song and I was wiping off the lipstick on my face from my sister. And my sister was great. She was great solace, you know? Mm. Like she was older, she was kind of like the rock I hid under when when things got really wrong, like, you know, things got really bad. And then later on, when when she got to about seventeen or eighteen, she she moved out. She just she just got out of the situation altogether, you know. And was that a bad kind of moment for you in terms? Yeah, of it was. The rock Be- leaving. Yeah, well, I yeah. I, I kind of knew I was alone, um, mm. but I also knew. You know, that when I got a little bit older, I could go and live with her, mm. you know, because I, I didn't want to be there anymore. It was like, I was then like piggy in the middle, like, you know, so to speak. So, mm. you know, my mother would be kind of, you know, asking for my opinion on stuff and my dad would be asking for opinion on, on my stuff. And I mean, I was in school, I was in secondary school at yeah. the time and I just, my escape was just, I was just a class clown. I was a jester. I, I you know, we very seldomly went to school. There was corporal punishment when I was going to school. Yeah. The teachers used to be beating me. I used to be getting beaten at home. Yeah. And I just really Yeah, because you and know. I would be similar, yeah. similar vintage. Yeah. And, and I came from the era of corporal punishment as well. Yeah. I mean, did you have lay teachers or, or, or brothers? No, we just had ordinary teachers. I was in the Virgin Mary Boys School. Yeah. And I, I only remember being actually on stage with, with Barry Murphy one night and yeah. I ended up going into town and two of the teachers from my... My principal from uh, the primary school and another teacher who would have beat me in school, mm. his name was Killer Clean, um, they used to call him. Mm. And he he told me, we had a drink after the international bar, um, and he told me he was really, really sorry for what happened. And he said mm. he found it very difficult to live with for, for the last number of years. Mm. And I was like, you know, I'd, I'd forgiven. It was like, look, mm. it was just one of them things that happened. Like, what we got... I got better around the school. Like yeah. I've got even like primary school and secondary school, I was severely beaten. Like you know, yeah. sometimes for you know, good reason. And would like, there be times it? where you would be like, would there? Would you be kind of hit by your father and hit by a teacher? Or yeah, yeah, of course. I, my father would hit me, and then I go into school, and because I wasn't really. Um, wasn't really clever in school and, and yeah. didn't know. No, come here, I can read, I can I write, know, yeah, yeah. all that stuff. But I mean, yeah. the likes of maths and, yeah. you know, I, I found it very, very hard yeah. to absorb stuff. And I really kind of look at these educate together schools today that they hone in on kids and what they're good at. Yeah. You know, I was kind of going, Jesus, if they'd have maybe honed in on me, you know, because on stage I was really good and I was really, you know, kind of talented. Yeah. I was kind of going, maybe if they'd have kind of really honed in on that and went, look, he's not great at this, but let's let's try do something with yeah. him and this and put him into, you know, a drama school or do do something with him. Okay. I wasn't a bad singer either. I was a really yeah. good singer. And I was kind of, but they never, it, I'm not saying they never did. 
that just wasn't the way. Well, I've got then, a good no. picture of your life up to that point then, brief one anyway. And But then it's London, you moved to London. I moved to London when Tell I was 16 it. years yeah. of age. My mother and father split up when I was about 15. Um, my mother um, got, got her own place. I was left with my dad, um, who was in a very, very bad place at the mm. time. And then I just made the decision. I said, I can't look after this man because whether I'm here or whether I'm not here, he's going to drink mm. and he's going to do whatever he wanted. Mm. So I, I moved to London. I moved to London when I was 16. Mm. Me and a mate of mine, I lived in, in Manor House. I got a job as an apprentice butcher. Mm. And um, when I got to London, the rave scene was kind of out over there. It was okay. all the dance music was coming in. So yeah. I was like, this was another avenue for me to go up. And I was still taking drugs and smoking weed and but I kind of was very functioning mm. in that the house that I lived in I was the only one that walked I got up every morning I went to walk I come home from walk and then it's true circumstance of, of events two of the guys that we lived with in the house mm. ended up all day in, and I kind of says to myself I, I need to get out of here mm. so I moved to Hackney my, my uncle John who's my dad's brother who's still over in England um, he's still alive he's in his late 80s mm. I got a little flat and I, and I start going to walk from there. But then my drug use got a little bit more progressive. I was kind of taking drugs during the week. And mm. then I had, I got psychosis from LSD and oh. and I ended up taking my Uncle John's wife and his daughter and a friend hostage in the house for a couple of days. I was completely- Host Like, like yeah. you were just tripping? Yeah, I, was, I thought that they were trying to get me killed. And I thought that people on the streets- And how did you, just as a matter of fact, how did you hold them hostage? I just, I just locked the house and just- You locked them told, in? Yeah, locked them in, told them that they weren't getting out, that they were trying to kill me. Yeah. And eventually the, 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 poli the police came along and I was sectioned under the Mental Health Act yeah. in, in, in London. Yeah. And I ended up in the Homerton Psychiatric Intensive Care Institute in Hackney oh, for about seven months. Yeah. And that was just really, really frightening and really, really- uh, a real, real traumatic experience. And I Seven thought, months. Yeah, I thought I was going to be there for the rest of my life. It's a and my mother had made the transition when I ended up there. She came to London yes. and stayed in London from then. Okay. She was in London for 22 um, years. Willa, what's a psychiatric hospital like at that time? It was very, very frightening, Mario. It was really, really frightening. It was really scary. I didn't know really what was going on. I was on a lot of medication. Mm. I was on an injection of Haldol once a week. I was on cogentil, lithium, halperidol, a lot of psychiatric medication. Just, I, I was just, I, I, I didn't know. And would you be kind of like out of it on this medication as well? Yeah, I would, I'd be very unfunctionable yeah. would probably be the word. They had me where they kind of wanted me, you know. It's kind of like if you if you throw a, a, a net over a lion that's killed, you know, that, yeah, that's, they you know. Yeah, pacify you. Yeah, and, mm. and then if you drug the lion, you can take the net off. And that's sure. kind of the way I was. Like. So eventually I got, I got out of there. I went back to London. My sister looked after me in Ballymun. Mm. I was very unwell. I was on the psychiatric daycare clinic in Ballymun. Mm. And then I, I detoxed, my sister detoxed me off the tablets. And then I done the same thing again. And I ended up in Dundrum Psychiatric Hospital. And yeah. then from Dundrum Psychiatric Hospital, I ended up in Vincent's on the Richmond Road in um, just off from Condra there. Yeah. I ended up in there for another few months and um, eventually got out of there again and never took LSD after that. I think that, that was kind of the final curve. But then I started messing around with heroin. I started mm. getting into heroin. Mm. And with that came another world. Now I'd got off all the psychiatric meds mm. in between this mm. as well. 
And then And why is heroin in another world? It was just I, th- I think that was like it was the final destination in the drug yeah. carvery that I'd been taking oh, all the way good through way my of life. Describing yeah. It, yeah. And it was like I pulled into a dock where I was actually really, really comfortable and this is where I was going to birth. And and this this was it like but you know, I did I didn't read the small print and I didn't read, you know, where it was gonna take me and what and what was going to happen and you know, I started off very, very innocently uh, smoking it, and then, and then before I knew it, I, I was using intravenously, and you know, and then I started going to prison. Um, okay, it's exactly the same. It's exactly the same sort of timeline and things as as James and Timmy. Yeah, it very, just very much it all so. end up, ends up in prison. I now, ended up in prison, and I ended up homeless on the streets. I ended up living uh, living on the streets in Dublin. Ended up staying in hostels. Ended up stealing from my father and my mother. My sister, the people that were closest to me, you know, mm. it was it was like a nightmare. I was going out with a girl at the time as well, and she was using as well. And then then I ended up getting caught with drugs. And I went. My mum was in London, as I said, from the first time I was in the psychiatric hospital. So I went to London on the run because I knew I was going to end up in prison again either way. And uh, I went to London to my mum's, and I I. The first day I got there, I had a few few bob because my dad had retired from Telecom Air at the time and he gave me a few bob going over. And the night I got there, I just went to, to King's Cross and I smoked all the money on crack and I went to my mum's the next day and I told her that I got robbed. My mum knew, you know, that I didn't get, get robbed and um, it was just a horrible, horrible roundabout I was on. And I walked in London while I was using, I got onto a methadone clinic which I thought was the answer to all my questions. And it, and it wasn't like, you know, then my partner come over. Then I started smoking crack again. Things spiraled out of control. And I ended up homeless on the streets in London. I ended up living in a car. And um, I kind of knew, I says, there has, there has to be more to, to life than this. I was real. I was in a sad state of affairs. Like my veins were... Collapsing, I was using in my groin, I was using in my neck. I had no, you know, self-worth for myself. I I didn't care about anything but just getting up every day and using and that mm. was it. And eventually I ended up getting arrested. Myself and, 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 uh, and my partner, which I thought was the worst thing that was ever going to happen to me. But realistically, when I look back now, it was the best thing that ever happened. And I ended up going to Brixton Prison for about six or seven weeks. And um, while I was in, when I got nicked, I ended up in Stoke Newington Police Station and the solicitor came in and said to me, um, are you avoiding, you know, tax evasion <laughs> in the Irish Republic? And I, I says, uh, I don't think so. Of all and the things yeah, I'm doing, yeah, yeah. you ask me about the tax. <laughs> You're asking me if my taxes in order. And, um, I says, no, I'm not. She says, are you part of a paramilitary organisation, i.e. the IRA? I said, no, I'm not. She says, well, my advice is when you go to Bow Street Magistrates Court in the morning, wave your right to extradition and they'll get you home as quick as you can. Because I was awaiting a drugs charge in in, uh, in Dublin. So I went to Bow Street Magistrates. <clears throat> Excuse me. I waved me right to extradition. They put me to Brixton Prison uh, for six or seven weeks. My partner went to... Holloway, she'd, she'd never been locked up before. So these were the people that were getting harmed in the process of my using. Mm. And then after about six or seven weeks, 
I didn't use in Brixton Prison, which was amazing. I was very, very sick. And I was, uh, you know, I was very under malnourished. I'd say if, you know, if there was a sequel of Schindler's List getting made at the time, I probably could have got a part in it, mm. which probably would have been the, the truth. Then I ended up coming to Dublin and I got five and a half years in prison with a review after three and a half years with terms and conditions. What did you get five and a half years for? With possession with the intent to employ a yeah. class A drug, uh, yeah. namely heroin. Yeah. Um, and, and and I went to jail and okay. I was clean going to Mountjoy Prison. I, I was completely clean of drugs. Um, and, but after about three or four weeks, I picked up again and started using. In prison? In prison, Because you can yeah. get it in prison, obviously. Yeah, I'm well, sorry for being, I'm a bit ignorant. No, no, you're okay. Just listen, Willa, just tell me about prison because we all, like, people who, I haven't been to prison. I doubt Shane has been to prison. So, like, most of us aren't in prison. Um, but we do have a kind of a view of prison. Some people have a view um, that prison is, oh, it's just boring. And uh, these lads are just doing nothing all day. But they are getting three square meals and they are television yeah. and they're having a bit of crack in there, actually. And you can get used to it. Yeah. And uh, it's a bit of a holiday camp, maybe. Oh. But, but, but that's what some people yeah, might no, say. Yeah, no, that's, that's okay. But you what's, know, what's, what's prison really like? Uh, prison is um, a very, very tough regime. Every day you're controlled by your superiors, which would be the prison officers. So... Your day is basically starts in the morning at eight o'clock. You get up. At the time I was there, you were slopping out, so you were pissing in a piss pot. So the minute the door opened in the morning, you brought the piss pot down, you emptied it, you washed and you brushed your teeth in the same area where people cleaned out their piss pots. And mm. um, you came back up, you got your tray, you went down for your breakfast. You come back up, you got locked up for about 40 minutes, you got out. Then you went to the yard or wherever you were going. You come back in at 12, you got your lunch, you were locked up for two hours. You got out at two and you went down to the yard or whatever you were doing. Some people could go to school. When you're in prison and you have a drug habit, like you're not going to school, you're not going to the gym. You know, your main priority is to try to get some drugs or hopefully someone's coming to visit you with drugs. And four o'clock then, you go back to your cell, you have your tea and then you get out at like five, half five, and then you're locked up at half past seven. Your door is shut for Is it scary or is it scary in prison? It's very scary. Why? Yeah. Because you don't know what's going to happen. It's what could happen? Anything could happen. Really? Could, yeah, I've seen horrific things happening to guys in, in prison. I've seen guys being beaten badly. I've seen guys have their face slashed. I've, you know, I've, I've seen horrific stuff happening to people that shouldn't happen to people. So I was kind so of So you lucky. don't feel physically safe necessarily in prison? No, no, mm. I didn't. I think the only thing I had for me is that I hung around with guys that were kind of at the top of the chain in there. Mm. And I had nothing really to offer, only that I was kind of funny. Yeah. And I was a bit witty. And you were doing so, the, a bit of the jester. Yeah, so it was kind of that. And I was in the, I was in the, uh, I used to be in the plays in the, in the Joy. So yeah. I was in, I was in the Borstal Boy. Yeah. Uh, I played Scalaro. I was in the Plough on the Stars. Yeah. I played Flute of Good. <laughs> Watching a Flute of Good with a heroin habit is actually very entertaining. <laughs> um, most of the cast were on heroin. So oh. when you think about it, <laughs> That's sure. very good. Yeah, so bear, bear. Plowing the stars yeah. on heroin. <laughs> Next week. Next week. Flute or OD. Trumpet City on LSD. <laughs> followed by Fair City on crack. With Willa White. <laughs> so that's that, that's the way it was. Yeah, it was a... Uh, I'm sure Sean O'Casey be torn in his grave to think. But you know what? People from Sean O'Casey on Crystal Mess. <laughs> At a cinema near you. Yeah. Uh, but the people, there was actually, the play on the stars was actually going on in the gate at the time. Mm. And the cast came in to, to see Airplay. 
and they said it was, uh, it was This brilliant. is a very different play to the play we're yeah, doing. Yeah. Why does Fluter keep going to sleep? Does Fluter have to be flutered? <laughs> so, yeah, I was in a couple of plays in there. So it was kind of, and then I was in the choir, yeah. in the prison as well. And um, yeah, it's, look, come here, there was, there was a couple of good laughs kind of in it. So to speak, but I mean, most of it, like but, 90% of it was kind of just mundane and yeah, horrific, like, but, you know? But will it, so, so what, this is what I asked James and Timmy. I mean, you've really painted a, you've told this story before, obviously, because you're very eloquent and articulate about it, but... Uh, and you, you, you tell, it, tell it very well. But I asked James and Timmy, like, I suppose, was there a moment that they can remember that they went, that's it, that's it. Yeah. I've had it with this. And if yeah. I'm still strong enough, I'm going to turn it around. If I still have anything within me, I'm going to make this, I'm going to change my life. Yeah, was there, there, there was, was. there a moment? That, yeah, there was a they moment. had. Yeah. Jimmy's, and, James and... Yeah, I can remember. He describes, like, he describes kneeling in, in the prison cell he describes roll, kneeling, like crawling around like a baby, mm. thinking that his hair, his cocaine has gone and he sees this paint on the ground and he thinks it's cocaine and he starts trying to sniff up the yeah. paint yeah. from the thing. And I think that's when it dawned on him, this is just gone mad. Yeah, I, you know, I, I start going to, um, I start going to 12 step meetings in, in prison, mm. mainly when I, when I was stoned. And they gave out free cigarettes. And mate says to me, why don't you come up here? So I start going to these meetings and I start seeing fellas who were used with on the outside, who were clean, who mm. were smiling, who wore nice clothes, who smelled really well, mm. who talked about life on life's terms, about paying a mortgage. Mm. And, and I was really, really attracted by this. Mm. And then there was a, a prison officer that intervened, Mr. Farrell. And he said to me, because my, my ex-partner used to babysit for his kids. He said to me, listen, if there's anything I can do for you in order to help you, let me know. Mm. And I just got a moment of clarity one day. I was, I was sitting in my cell and I says, I, I said, I can't, I can't do this anymore. And I knew there was a detox unit in Mountjoy Prison that you could go to mm. and, and try to get yourself clean, like, you know. Mm. So I took a walk up the landing. I seen him on the landing and I says, look, I had about 10 months left out of prison sentence. And I knew if I went up to court... I, I, I was in trouble if I hadn't kept to the terms and conditions, mm. which was clean urines that I was seen to be doing something about my addiction. Mm. Mm. So I just took the walk up the landing and I remember it. It was like, it was like I was in slow motion going up the landing. It was like everyone was looking at me, uh, which wasn't the case at all. And I just went up and I just said, look, Mar uh, his name is Mark, but I call him Mr. Farrell. I says, uh, I says, Mr. Farrell, I says, oh, I really need to do something about this. I says, I need to try, you know, he says to me, what do you want to do? Like, I says, I want to go into detox. I says, I'm going to a couple of these meetings. I says, they seem, you know, people seem to have themselves together. I says, and I, and, I, and I think with your help, I says, maybe you could, you know, get myself clean. And he said, look, leave it with me. And about a week later, he came back. He says, look, I don't say anything to anyone but I'm after getting you the place. You've got to go for the interview because you had to go for an interview for it and be assessed. So I went and I done this detox, a week detox in, a, in, the, in the medical unit in Mountjoy Jail, which was really, really tough. I was going through withdrawals from heroin and uh, it, it was Can tough, you, but I just kind of knew. What's that like, withdrawal from heroin? It's very, very tough. It's like, it's like having a really, really bad flu with the runs and sneezing and aches and pains in your legs and you can't sleep. Look, it took me probably about five or six weeks to, to get a bit of decent sleep. Ugh. So most nights I'm kind of pacing the floor and 
kind of like that Lionel Richie was dancing on the ceiling like mm-hmm. it's really really uncomfortable I remember a guy saying to me at the meeting he says if you do go to the detox unit he says this is the last time you ever have to go through withdrawals and I'd been through withdrawals loads yes. of times before mm. but I never knew a way off drugs my answer was always you know a methadone clinic or a doctor or whatever it was mm-hmm. like so so I got through the withdrawals and yeah. I went over to the drug free prison I, I say that very lightly um, over in Glengariff Parade which was called the training unit and I start going to these meetings and I started you know kind of get myself back together going to the gym mm. and, and whatever and then I eventually got released from prison from Green Street Magistrates Court I, uh, Judge Martin I went to he says look I've no reason to hold you here after three and a half years yeah. it was great as well because I hadn't been out of prison or hadn't been in Dublin for about five and a half years because I've been on the run in London yeah. through all this time so I kind of got out and I knew I could get a clean slate and I could start again yeah. and uh, I got out of jail that night I went for a drink which I shouldn't have because the programme I walk is that Alcohol is a drug, you know, and I suffer with the disease of addiction and, you know, drink is just a gateway to get me back to where I want to go. So I drank that night with my father and my ex-partner and the next morning I woke up and it was the best hangover I ever had in my life. And I sat there in my sister's sitting room on my own and I says to myself, I really need to make a big decision now here in my life. Am I going to continue drinking and using or am I going to give this program ago so I decided to give the program a go and I done 90 meetings in 90 days I met new people um, and and I and I got a, I got a new life I got a completely new life I start I got a new job where I, I started scaffolding with a maid of mine and things started to happen I started meeting people I started playing squash <laughs> I started playing golf I started learning how to play the guitar uh, I was I was kind so of slowly you started opening up your horizons yeah it was like it, it was like I'd been numb and asleep for all these years um, and, I, and I was still that teenager I was still that scared teenager even though yeah. I was a man now of 29 years of age yeah. I I was still um, my skills in life and, and emotionally I, I had been blocked for all these years and it was the first time in years that I'd lived my life without the use of drugs without yeah. you know and the compulsion lifted very soon in the first few months um, yeah, yeah, with a young daughter that was born hmm. um, and it was then I, I met Des I met Des Bishop yeah so this is where this, and this I met is, you in Today FM one time if you can remember years ago <laughs> me and Des was doing an interview yeah. and and, and we, we our paths just crossed yeah. and I said hello but this was the time that the Joy in the Hood program was out yes. so before the Joy in the Hood program yes. we were meant to do a program me and Des about me embarking on the world of stand-up comedy yes. uh, coming from prison. And it was a very big decision for me to make. I opted not to do the programme because there was a lot of stuff going to happen. One, I would have ended up on the Late Late Show. I would have ended up on, on radio. I'd have ended up on a lot of stuff because it was a six-part series. Mm. And I would have been branded as this ex-drug addict, mm. comedian, criminal mm. thing. And I didn't want mm. that. I really didn't want mm. that. I was moving on with my life and I didn't want to be branded this thing. So I said, I, I said to Des, look, I'm not going to do this, Des. I said, it's a really tough decision for me to make because it would be a great kickstart for me. But I was looking at the long game and saying, this is going to fizzle out very, very quickly. Mm. So I said, if you're doing nothing else, give me a shout. And then he came up with this brilliant idea of joining the hood for RTE. And I went 
and he went into disadvantaged areas and got a few people from each area and then you went and done a show at the end of the six mm. weeks whether it was in a, a theatre or, or a community hall so I got involved in that we were and the this pilot. was a chance for you to revisit this personality that you've yeah, had since yeah. you were a child yeah, which yeah. was the class clown the jester the funny guy exactly, the guy yeah. that the heavies in jail went let's keep him around he's, he's, he's funny yeah. we won't do his head in yeah. you know we'll keep him around for a while and, and for the right reasons yeah. you know and, and, and uh, so we'd done this programme and there was a few of us involved I think out of the whole programme out of all of us there's probably only myself, Eric Lawler, yeah. and a traveller called Martin Beans Ward. Martin has been yeah. on the pro- pro- podcast. He's a, great, he's a great fella. Martin great. Beans. Martin shredded me on the podcast. He's, he's a funny, He took me to fella. the fucking cleaners. Did he? Yeah. <laughs> because he knew. I mean, talk about intersectionality. Mario, I'm gay. I'm a traveller. Yeah. I'm a ginger and I'm fat. Yeah. How are you going to fucking deal with that one? And I was there like, you're very nice, Mr. Beans. And he's there, oh, you're struggling now, Mario, aren't you? I have you, you little. And he made me, he actually, I was squirming there for half the time until eventually our conversation went on and on and on. And we reached, we reached, um, we reached a kind of a, an understanding during the conversation where we got to know each other during the conversation. And I wasn't taking any more of his bullying because he was having a laugh at me by going, right, how are you going to deal with this then, Mario? He's a great fella. He was very, very, very good. And he was a very funny stand-up. He was very funny. He had some really good material. Mm. So out of the whole lot of it, there's probably only myself, Eric Eric Lawler, and and Martin Beans. Yeah. So then I I done that. So your your career in entertainment, in the entertainment industry began. It took off there, yeah. So Des was, I have to say, Des Des was very good to us. And he took us on tour with him and we started off playing in venues like Ficker Street. Yeah, so would you come on before him? Yeah, in the Royal Opera House. Wow. And we were staying in the Hayfield Manor and yeah. Five Stars yeah. Hotel. It was like Slumdog Millionaire coming from Ballymun. Like, you know, it was like, <laughs> it was, do you know, it was an amazing time. Yeah. And then we were doing open spots all over the country. And then I remember we got paid for the first time at the Half Moon Theatre in Cork. Your man gave us 50 quid each, me and Eric. Yeah. And we were like, this is it now. We've hit the big time. Yeah. We can start now asking people for money because now we've been paid. Yeah. So if anyone said, no, we don't do open spots anymore. We do paid spots. And then, the comedy thing just kind of took off yes. and we were doing different clubs and went to different countries and done stand-up in Dubai and yeah. at festivals and the Kilkenny Cats And laughs. just as a matter of interest, Willow, during all of this period where like you're having fun, you're, you're, you're doing comedy, your horizons are expanding, um, are, is it okay? Is it, is, it, is it okay to manage this addictive personality? Yeah, it's very, very manageable. But you see, I haven't took my eye off the ball. I'm mm. still going to meetings. Mm. I'm still Good. connected with, yeah. with, with with people that don't, you know, use drugs. Yeah. Obviously, you know yourself, the entertainment industry. Yes. There's lots of drink. There's free drink yeah. and all that. But I'm very, very aware yeah. of what drink Because it is kind of ironic, you know, as I moved out of drugs and drink and I got into the entertainment business. Yeah. <laughs> you're just going, Which is, is that not like frying pan into the fire? Exactly, because a lot of the places would be free drink. Like yeah. most venues I was in, there was like, what do you want? And look, the only difference between drink and drugs is that one is wet and one is dry. Yeah. They both do the same thing yeah. at a different speed. Yeah. So then I, you know, I gigged with loads of amazing people, yeah. met loads of amazing people. And you've been in loads of shows. Yeah, I've been in the Savage Eye. I've been in the Irish Pictorial. Yeah. I've been in Love Hate. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Tell us, you play the alarm man in Love Hate. 
And I actually read for Fran the man's part. I got a call oh, back. Off. Yes, great like part. Maureen Hughes, who's actually a yeah. really lovely woman. Yeah. She gave me a second call back for uh, Fran. Fran Cunahan's part. Yeah. yeah. But he couldn't have. Ah, he was, he was great. Come here, he was, he was outstanding. Yeah. I still um, never forget that. Yeah, snooker, and I, play, I, played, I played the alarm man in yeah. uh, the, I was fitting an alarm. I'm usually taking them off walls, but this time <laughs> they had me, they had me fitting them, <laughs> which is but, a lot more difficult. Sorry, Willa, can you, can, you, can you put it on rather than take it off? Yeah, just, just he keeps taking it off. Yeah, yeah. So can, can we just get him when he's putting it on? So that was great. Uh, do you know, I'm kind of glad I took the part and not glad I took the part yeah. because there probably could have been bigger parts coming up. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, I gigged, with lo- I gigged with loads of big names like John Bishop and yeah. Kevin Bridges Did and you? Dara. Yeah. yeah. Uh, nice one. Yeah, so it's, it, it was great. And then... Come here, you're, the, the, the Savage Eye is a good one. because Savage Eye, I don't know why RTE got rid of it. Well, I really don't. I think it was, it was an brilliant. amazing it was, it was brilliant, but he did three series. Yeah, I, the writing on it was great. I mean, John mm. Caleri and the, the, you know, the lads that was in it, John Caleri, Patrick McDonald mm. and, mm-hmm. and Dave mm-hmm. McSavage. And the direction. Just worked so well it together. Did, yeah. The sketches were yeah. brilliant. Yeah. Uh, it, it was a really good, really good thing. Yeah. I got a few few sketches in it. It's he crazy. did funny good sketches on drugs as but, well, didn't yeah, he? Remember because, the, the selling uh, yeah. drugs, the, pre, uh, the, the priest That's selling right, uh, yeah. ma- um, the communion on the corner. But the courtroom opera, that's yes. in it. That's the court I got out of on my review. Go off. I remember yeah, the sketch. So, yeah, so that's, I was like, this is crazy. And I've been in that court probably four times since that. I've been walking in it. Yeah. Uh, and obviously done the, the Savage Eye thing yeah. in it. Um, and yeah, so much has happened. My sister uh, passed away in 2010 while in recovery. Yes. She died of cancer, my sister Susan, which yes. was very, uh, very difficult. Exactly, because you were so close to her. Yeah, and then my father passed away in 2016. But I realised coming back to my father where I talked about, my father came from a family of 16 kids in a tenement flat project beside the Brazen Head pub at the back of the merchant. There's a little block of flats there called St. Audience House. And his father, probably the mild way to put it, was an animal. It, it w- would be the best thing to say. And when I delved into my father's past and spoke, I was very fearful of my father, like for years. Like even in recovery for the first few years, I, I had this fear of this man. Even though I, I was taller than him at this stage and he was a kind of getting older and that, I kind of had this fear. But recovery gave me the opportunity to kind of get to know him and to understand him, you know, and I always say it wasn't one of them relationships that, you know, we were on a lake fishing in the evening time and that, but it was an awful lot better than what it was. And I got to understand him and not be afraid of him anymore and to love him for the person that he was and to understand that where he came from and the family he grew up in, 10 of his siblings went to live in London. And I can understand why with the horrific home that they came from with, with my grandfather. Um, and when I look at the way he reared me and I look at the aggression and the violence that he had towards me mother, I actually understood. And he'd done an awful lot better of a job with us than his father did with him. He, he The man knew no better, you know? So you, you in a sense, you you made some amends and oh, came I full made, circle. Yeah, I made, I made a lot of amends. I mean, when he died um, in the hospice in Hartles Cross on the 11th of March, 2016, I told him a few days beforehand, I says, look, you're not going to be on your own. I'm going to be here with you. I says, don't be panicking. He, he, he wasn't afraid of dying, you know, he knew he was dying. And when he died, there was just me and him and, and I held him and I told him that I loved him. And um, it, it was very, very, 
very, very emotional, but it was a very, very special time for me, you know. Um, and, I, and I miss him. I miss him terrible, you know. Do you know, this is exactly what I was getting at with uh, James and Timmy as well. And it's just struck me again with you. The same thing. And it, I find it interesting. It's, it's, but James and Timmy were through all of this stuff. You've been through all of this stuff. And you've all had different journeys and you come out the other side. But one of the things I think is common to both of you, uh, which I find very interesting and brilliant, is that for whatever has happened, whatever uh, brain cells you've destroyed, what physical damage you've inflicted on yourself, pain, horror, withdrawal, prison, drugs, pain on other people, the journey you've been on, and yet you've come out the other side, but you've come out more, it seems to me, more emotionally intelligent than a lot of people who've never had any of those experiences have. You are able, you seem to be able to emote, speak about your emotions, be open. Um, the way you talked about your dad, who, like, you had some really, really, really bad times with this man. And you're able to look at me in the eye and go, I told him, I loved him, I will hold him, he, I will be there for him. Um, so th- I think it's quite incredible, Willa. Yeah. It, it it is yeah, um, you know I kind of I kind of understood in recovery by speaking to him, and I suppose one of the things that really stands with me um, is my father saying to me while he was alive, you know, he says the worst feeling you'll ever endure in the world, he says, is loneliness, you know, and uh, I just I didn't want him to be on his own when he died, you know, and mm. um, I actually don't mind getting upset. Yeah. I'm in touch with my feelings. Um, this is it's hard. just a human emotion, but I just, them words kind of rang with me, but you know. So many of us, so many of us, Willa, are shut off from our emotions. Yeah, and he, he wasn't on his own, you know, he was loved. And um, even at his eulogy, you know, a lot of the lads from the from the comedy uh, world came along and mm. Des was there yeah. and Jason Bourne, who'd be a really good friend of mine. And <laughs> my dad was always, my dad was a great entertainer as well. He was a great singer mm. and he was very, very funny, you know. And I remember at the eulogy saying, you know, my dad will be a little bit embarrassed today because my dad really used to getting carried out of places, you know, not into places, <laughs> like, which I thought was very funny, you know. A lot of good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, you know what? He, yeah, I miss him. And there's just, look, there's only me and my mom left. And my mom's not in great, uh, she's not in great shape at the moment either, but... You know what, I've, I've dealt as best the hand that I've been given and I'm not, you know, I don't feel sorry for myself or anything like that. I've, I'm very fortunate that I have really good people in my life. I have a good understanding of myself. Um, I'm articulate, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm all the opposites of the guy that I was when I took drugs. Listen, remember I told you, I said there might be people on the phone. Yeah, and, of course. And they're listening. Yeah, yeah. So people, some people listen into these, um, these podcasts okay. live. So actually, first of all, um, is, oh God, would you say hello to Pascal Donoghue? Pascal, Minister how are Pilot. you? How's things? I'm very well, um, uh, Willa, and lovely to meet you, but because I am a Ballymon native myself. Oh, fair play to you, Pascal. Yeah, and I, I, I am very proud of Ballymon, and I'm very proud of what Ballymon has become and what have made me. But I was interested in what you were saying about tax evasion earlier on over in London. I hope you are not running from any tax bills that we need to know about, Willa. 
No, Pascal, no. Jesus, definitely not. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm on the right side of the law. Are you sure about that now? Yeah, I am indeed, All Pascal. your returns have been made? Every single last one of them. Are you presently self-employed? I am not You're not self-employed? No. You are being employed by somebody else? I am indeed. Very good. And all the PRSI and the PIYE are being paid? Everything is sorted out and above board, yeah. That's wonderful. Well, from one Ballymun native to another, congratulations. Well done. And I've been chuckling away during this. So thank you for putting a big smile on my face. Thank you very much, Pascal. You're thank a you. gentleman. Thank a you. Ballymun man. Ballymun man. Well, there you go. Um, let me see. Christy Dignam is on the line from Aslan. Ah, come here. Christy's a good mate of mine, yeah. Say hello. How are you, Christy? Yeah. How are you doing? I didn't know you did any holiday. Are you making me sound like a fucking baby here? Ah, Christy, what? look, I'm sorry for stealing the limelight in your pal. Why was supposed to be the fucking hard man around town and you're there and I fucking did this and I did that? I'm looking like a fucking, fucking scabby old sheep in comparison to you. Sorry, Christy, but how can I protect you in this crazy world? <laughs> that fucking sounds from it. Hold on. Sorry, Christy. I think Chris- he's gone. Ah. He's gone, he's gone, he's gone. What the hell, Christy? Um, let me see who else is on. Oh, listen. James Leonard from the Two Lorries is on the line. Ah, James, what's the story? How are you? What was wrong, boy? I'm fucking in bits here listening to you, myself and Timmy. Aren't we, Timmy? Yeah, I'm, I'm fucking glad. I just can't handle it, I swear. Shut up, Timmy, a second, will you? You're an inspiration. You are a fucking inspiration, Willa. Do you get that? I get it. I get it. Like, we, I'm an inspiration. You're an inspiration. I'm inspiring you. You're inspiring me. Timmy? Tim, Timmy, who are you inspiring? He's inspiring the spoiler on O'Connell Street. He's inspiring something anyway, but fuck, you've just, you're unbelievable. Unbelievable. And thanks to <laughs> Mario. Yeah? And thanks to Mario for having us on. No problem, James. I don't know the way this conversation <laughs> is going now, but... Willa, brilliant. fucking brilliant. Thank you very much, James. Thanks so much. Ah, listen, he is he's just... They're un- great. The two lads are brilliant. I love them. He is just unbelievable. They are Cork, the north side. They are, the two Norries from the north mm. side. Willa, listen, I want to thank you so much for coming on the You're podcast. very welcome. Um, it's, again, I always feel, like same with James and Timmy, I always feel um, energised after hearing this story. Yeah, yeah. Because we all have our shitty problems of course we do you've had real problems yeah and I feel I think I found it I feel now in my shitty problems my problems are shitty in comparison to the problem it's just people's problems are smaller than others and you know come here it's it's like that failure failure isn't falling down it's staying down you know and I just I had the ability to get back up and get get back on my feet and people are still dying from addiction and a mate of mine that was buried yesterday Um. It's, it's, come here, it's ongoing, it's everywhere. The the drug problem in Dublin is is unreal. Completely out of control. I mean, you can you can order a bag of Coke now quicker than you'd order yeah. a pizza to your door. Like, that's, yeah. that's the way it's gone. Yeah. You know, you can revolue for drugs, you can, yeah. you can do whatever. And I mean, everybody is taking it. And what I always say to people, you're funding something an awful lot bigger than a drug habit. I mean, you, you, you're funding people's doors being kicked in, people being shot dead. That's when you're buying cocaine. You're funding these criminals that are, are buying this into the country and are buying guns that go with it. And realistically, like, 
anyone that's that's taken drugs, whether you like it or not, have got a drop of blood in your hands from someone mm. being murdered in the sea. Yeah. Willa, what's next for you? I'm yeah. always walking. I'm always gigging. I'm, I'm, this weekend, believe it or not, I'm free. Last weekend was hectic. I was in the Laughter Lounge, uh, best comedy club in the country. I'm there in September, 23rd, 24th. And then I just kind of have small stuff mm. around the city, whether I'm in Stitches Comedy Club, the International mm. uh, is back up and running mm. again. Uh, in full swing, uh, Simon O'Keefe has taken that over. So I'm going to I'm gonna give that a plug. And there's also the, the comedy seller of a Wednesday evening, uh, which is on as well. So the, the, the place is alive with gigs and I'll take anything that comes. And as I said, look, if there's an agent out there wants to give me a show and uh, probably walk something out, I'd, I'd love to do a bit more acting. And the play actually goes again next February. We go to Liège um, in Belgium. Uh, at a festival we were in Paris this year we were in Norway and then we do a nationwide tour so we're down with Timmy in Cork and we're in Limerick and we're all over the place that's going to happen and the play is called The Examination and the theatre company are called Broken Talkers who who are, uh, who are an, a, an amazing theatre company I have to say That's fantastic Willa I'm delighted that James and Timmy gave me the recommendation for you to come on and thank you so much for sharing with me And thank you very much for having me uh, Mario It's been a pleasure And my thanks to Willa White. That's it. Thank you to Willa for sharing um, his amazing and fascinating story. Uh, thanks also to the two Norries for suggesting Willa. Um, that's it for this week. Good luck to everybody in the podcasting awards. Um, good luck to our podcast. Get in touch with me, of course, as usual, if you want. MarioRosenstock at gmail.com. I read them all and I get back to most of them. See you same time, same place next week.